Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. The Platform Sutra of Wei Neng. The liberation of seeing the true Buddha. The sixth ancestor lived until the third day of the eighth month. After the noon meal, the master said, all of you, sit down. It's time for me to leave you. Fahai asked, as the master is departing, what dharma is he leaving behind so that future generations will be able to see a Buddha? The sixth ancestor said, listen, if the deluded people of future generations can simply understand what a sentient being is, they'll be able to see a Buddha. If they don't understand what a sentient being is, they can look for a Buddha for 10,000 kalpas and still not find one. I will also leave you with a verse called the liberation of seeing the true Buddha. As long as someone is deluded, they won't see a Buddha. Only someone who is awake will. If people in future ages want to find a Buddha, all they need to do is to understand what a sentient being is. And they will be able to understand what a Buddha is. Buddhas are due to sentient beings. Apart from a sentient being, there is no Buddha mind. Deluded, a Buddha is a being. Enlightened, a being is a Buddha. A foolish Buddha is a being. A wise being is a Buddha. As long as your mind is biased, the Buddha dwells in a being. The moment you wake up unbiased, a being becomes a Buddha. Your mind contains a Buddha. Your Buddha is the real one. If you didn't have the Buddha mind, where would you go to find a Buddha? And the last time that I spoke, I ended the talk by saying that I could talk a very long time, but that I'd already spoken for a very long time, and I had pity on you, and so I cut it short. Um, but this is uh, the direction that I would have headed in if I had uh, been cruel enough to continue speaking. This is the story of the sixth ancestor's uh, departure from this world. 
Um, I was intending to speak about this uh, long before I knew that Shinge Roshi was ill, but it's a good um, uh, coincidence, a happy coincidence that this addresses the nature of impermanence and addresses the nature of what it is to be a Buddha. So the sixth ancestor, Eno, who I spoke at length about last time, lived until the third day of the eighth month. After the noon meal, the master said, all of you, sit down. It's time for me to leave you. There are a number of stories of masters who were so in touch with their own being and their own core and their own fluctuations that they were able to depart this world in a very conscious manner. And apparently Eno was one of them. And so after eating, he gathers everyone together and says, listen, I'm, I'm not going to be here any longer. And these are my final instructions. One of his disciples, Bahay, asked, as the master is departing, what dharma is he leaving behind so that future generations will be able to see a Buddha? You might as well ask, what instruction are you leaving so that I can see my own Buddha nature? And Eno answers, listen, if the deluded people of future generations can simply understand what a sentient being is, they'll be able to see a Buddha. And this is what we're all here investigating. What a sentient being is. What does it mean to be an embodied spirit? What does it mean to have a physical form and a mind that is capable of taking in the whole universe and even more than the whole universe? In another passage in the Platform Sutra, Eno says, our nature contains the 10,000 dharmas. That is to say, everything. That's how great it is. And the 10,000 dharmas, all of this, everything that we see, everyone that we encounter, the 10,000 dharmas are our nature. To see humans and non-humans, 
both the good and the bad, good dharmas and bad dharmas, without rejecting them and without being corrupted by them. This is to be like space. This is what we mean by great. This is what maha means. Deluded people chant this with their mouths. The wise practice it with their minds. There are also deluded people who call having an empty mind and not thinking great. Here, when he says great, um, in the preceding passage, he was discussing the Mahaprajna Paramita Sutra. And so the first word of Mahaprajna Paramita Sutra is Maha, great, great, compassionate wisdom. Here he's describing what it means to be great. Our natures are great. Our natures encompass everything. But we remain blind to that. And so what we're doing here, what we're doing here in this session, day after day, hour after hour, is simply investigating what this greatness is. Even when we're not feeling so great, even what we're feeling is pain, even when what we're feeling is boredom or confusion, the 10,000 dharmas, the 10,000 dharmas have to include boredom, have to include pain, have to include joy and love. To reject one and to grasp the other, this is the poison that binds us, that cripples us, that kills us. We talk about the three poisons, grasping, aversion, ignorance, or greed, anger, delusion. It all comes down to simply this, rejecting, We're grasping. We sit with pain, with boredom, with frustration, with anger over our past so-called misdeeds, over our own present misfortunes, And all of that simply obstructs the free flow of the Dharma. In the last passage that I read, 
in my last Dharma talk. One of the lines is, the way flows freely when the mind doesn't dwell on any Dharma. To dwell on a Dharma, to make the impermanent a fixation, to make the flux, the ever-flowing dharma into some sort of solid object, whether that object is frustration, pain, joy, to hold on to it is to obstruct it. And Diamond Sutra says, past mind cannot be held, present mind cannot be held, future mind cannot be held. To think otherwise is delusion and ignorance. and is the cause of our illness. So this is what a sentient being is. A sentient being is great. And still in the Diamond Sutra, the Buddha says sentient beings are not really sentient beings. Sentient being is merely a name. Because sentient beings are not what is contained in this form, in this bag of skin. Sentient beings are endlessly and perfectly mutually interdependent. With connections that are vast and imponderable. Something so great can hardly be called a sentient being. The term is inadequate. And so sentient beings are not really sentient beings. They're simply called sentient beings. And if you can simply understand what a sentient being is, then you'll be able to understand what a Buddha is. The point is so important that he repeats himself. I don't know if you noticed when I was reading, but one paragraph sounds almost exactly like the next paragraph. If the deluded people of future generations can simply understand what a sentient being is, they'll be able to see a Buddha. If they don't understand what a sentient being is, they can look for a Buddha for 10,000 kalpas, 
and still not find one. That is to say, forever. And then in the next paragraph he says, if people in future ages want to find a Buddha, all they need to do is to understand what a sentient being is. All you need to do is to understand what you are. That's all you need to do. That's all we're here for. I'll also leave you with a verse called The Liberation of Seeing the True Buddha. Deluded, a being is a Buddha. Enlightened, excuse me, I, I think I read that wrong. Deluded, a Buddha is a being. Enlightened, a being is a Buddha. No change, just turning on the light. One minute you're in a dark room, the next minute the light is on. One minute you're a being, the next minute you're a Buddha. A foolish Buddha is a being. A wise being is a Buddha. As long as your mind is biased, the Buddha dwells in a being. This bias is a really important subject in faith and mind we hear to set up what we like against what we dislike is the disease of the mind if you miss the deep meaning it's useless to still your thoughts to set up what we like against what we dislike is the disease of the mind. We're sitting in pain and we don't like it. We're sitting in peaceful samadhi and we like it. To be attached to this like and dislike to hold on to this dharma, knowing that past mind can't be grasped, present mind can't be grasped, future mind can't be grasped. It's insane. It's a delusion. It's the cause of our suffering. And it's also the most natural thing in the world. It's what we are trained to do by the nature of our physicality, by evolution, by society, by instruction, by television advertising, 
It's the most natural thing in the world, and it's the most harmful thing in the world. This is part of what being an embodied spirit is. We naturally want to hold on. We naturally want to flee what is unpleasant. And when we do, we are a being. When we are not controlled by the three poisons, grasping, aversion, ignorance, we're a Buddha. That simple. The moment you wake up unbiased, a being becomes a Buddha. We talk as a culture a lot about our biases, our racial preferences, our racial biases, our sexual biases, gender biases. And all of those things are very important. But bias goes much deeper and much more to the root. Hakuin, in his Rohatsu exhortation, says, you must cut your life off at its root. And this is what he means. Cut off these biases at the root. Which of course does not mean that you will one day wake up and prefer Brussels sprouts to chocolate ice cream. It doesn't work that way and it can't work that way. Not that I have anything against Brussels sprouts and perhaps you're lactose intolerant and can't eat chocolate ice cream, but that doesn't matter. We will always have our preferences. But to hold to those preferences, to not appreciate Brussels sprouts, because we would rather have chocolate ice cream. To want chocolate ice cream to the point that we are getting ill from all of that sugar and fat the disease of the mind. Mayazumi Roshi, when asked what the point of Zen practice was, he would say, to appreciate your life. By which he did not mean to appreciate 
all of the good times to appreciate when the sun is shining, to appreciate when your health is good. He meant to appreciate all of your life. To be informed by all the 10,000 dharmas. To experience sadness without dread, without aversion. To experience happiness, love, friendship without clinging. To appreciate all of it to appreciate the changing moment-to-moment reality. To appreciate our illness. To appreciate the fact of our mortality. To appreciate all of it. And that's what's meant by to wake up unbiased. And that is what we are doing here, moment by moment, sitting when our body is saying, no, 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 no more of this. Uh Uh-uh, uh-uh, not interested, thank you. moment by moment, learning patience, diligence, perseverance, joy, to sit and have our hearts broken. Broken into a thousand pieces. so that light can shine into it. This is what it means for a being to become a Buddha, to be broken open. To recognize the interpenetration of all the dharmas and to appreciate that. Your mind contains a Buddha. Your Buddha is the real one. As beautiful as that statue is, 
I could look at that statue for hours. But that's not the real Buddha. And the real Buddha is here sitting in front of me. The real Buddha is here sitting on this cushion. Your Buddha is the real one. If you didn't have the Buddha mind, where would you go to find a Buddha? In the uh, first Dharma talk that I gave the session, I was mentioning the importance of vow, having a strong vow. And I mentioned the great vows for all. And I just wanted to recognize how preposterous the great vows for all are and how difficult to understand they are. They seem to be filled with contradictions and impossible resolutions. However innumerable all beings are, I vow to save them all. So the first problem is this all beings. What is this all beings? And then the second problem is, what is this I? And what is this I vow to save all beings? What that's really saying is, I vow to stop saying that I will save them. There's no I in them. And it's not something that I can do. All I can do is appreciate all beings. Open my heart to all beings. Recognize that I and all beings are in this together, mutually interdependent, not in some vague philosophical way, but really and actually that my well-being depends on your well-being. that there is no liberation for I without liberation of all beings. When the Buddha saw the light of the morning star on the eighth day of his personal Rahatsu session, he said, how wonderful.
I and all beings together are awake. And however inexhaustible delusions are, I vow to extinguish them all. Sounds like a lot of busy work, you know, like stamping out fires. Here's a delusion. I gotta, gotta beat that one down. What that really means is what Eno says is waking up unbiased. When you wake up unbiased, when your heart has been broken open, when your mind has been broken open, when you are no longer defined and imprisoned by the three poisons. That's what it means to extinguish delusions. And you don't do it by stamping out fires because the fires are endless. You do it by cutting your life off at its root. by waking up by appreciating moment by moment one practice samadhi however immeasurable dharma teachings are I vow to master them all. Dharma teachings refers, of course, to the Eightfold Path, to the Four Noble Truths, to the sutras, to the paramitas, to all of that stuff, but much, much more. Dharma teachings are what you are taught by the 10,000 things. Dharma teachings are sickness, old age, and death. That was what started Shakyamuni on his path to awakening. The Dharma teaching of sickness, old age, and death. Dharma teachings are the morning star that penetrates your being 
that fills you with joy, that obliterates the walls of your mind. Dharma teachings are the delicious food that our tenzos have been preparing. And there's no mastering. There's only appreciation. There's only openness. Taking it in. Integrating, incorporating, recognizing with joy that it's part of you. And however the bu- endless the Buddha's way is, I vow to follow it. To follow the Buddha's way is to appreciate your life, to understand what a sentient being is, to understand what you are. To understand your own beauty, your own ugliness, your own fear, your own courage. To recognize all of this without holding on to any of it. This is following the Buddha's way. And the way is endless. Much like this talk. I don't want to keep you any longer. Enjoy the rest of your session. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.